Good morning for some of you, good afternoon for me, good evening for my guest today, and welcome back to another episode of We Got This Podcast. Now, if you know anything about me, anything about this podcast, you will know that I do have a thing for workplace culture, and I've had it for a number of years. And I was always, even in my project management days, more interested in why and how my teams work and what makes them work well and what makes them potentially encounter challenges and how they overcome those challenges when, they, when it comes to it. And for me, it was always about the cultural element. So I was always excited, not just about that, but obviously the wider organization, the wider impact of culture within organizations. And a few years ago, I think it was seven or eight years ago, when a lot of HR departments have started uh, rebranding themselves as people and culture departments, I was really, really excited. But very, very quickly, I realized that in many cases, not in all, but in many, it was nothing more than a PR stint. And that's troublesome because obviously there's so much to culture that we, we can talk about that benefits the organization. That's why in the last few months, I was, I've been digging a lot deeper into this topic, especially the topic of you know, having a dedicated person responsible for culture head of culture, or even better, chief culture officer. And I've been talking to many of them over the past few months, and I'm really excited to have invited a chief culture officer to this episode to join me today. And today I'll be joined by Apoorva Apna, who is currently the chief culture officer at WPP India, and she is the first CCO at WPP since the role was created in March 2020. And in this role, she's responsible for building an organizational culture founded on openness, optimism, and collaboration. And she also leads the initiatives on sustainability for WPP India. She is responsible for driving diversity and inclusion agenda at WPP India and leads many, many initiatives around that. What we're going to be talking about is what you're going to learn is about the benefits of, the, of having a strong organizational culture. But we'll try and go beyond that. Rather than just talking and trying to convince you about the culture, what we will aim for is to focus more on the day-to-day -day of what does a culture officer do? What does that look like from the day-to-day? -day? And because in her role, it's responsible for organizational culture, as I said, on optim founded on optimism and collaboration. And hopefully you will learn and see the benefits of, of that. So we'll, we'll discuss her role within the organization and the impact it has on the success of the organization as well. We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. Apurva, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lash. Let's start with the same question that everybody gets. And I don't want you to feel any different. When you were little, who did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, interesting. I think without trying to sound really philosophical, I don't think I had like this fire in the belly kind of an ambition of what I really wanted to become. I I think I was really looking to become like my parents because both of them were working people and I used to be really, I mean, it was very inspiring to see them for the kind of work that we were doing. And at that age, to see them work quite hard, you know, in areas that would create larger societal impact was very inspiring. So I just think I want to be like them, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, listen, I don't mind you being uh, philosophical, philosophical at all in the slightest because we often do use this 
question as a, as a bit of a segue to di- different elements of who we are as, as people and how often what we do now is not necessarily what we wanted to be when we were little, but has a very, very strong connection, strong, strong impact and links in one way or another in, in the nature of what that role stands for is what often we've seen. Thank you very much for, for sharing that. Before we go any further, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to set a bit of context, not just about your role, which is what we're going to talk about later, but about the organization, about WPP. Because if I'm not mistaken, in terms of its, its size, it's obviously it's a global organization, and we're talking about number of employees in, in the thousands. Am I, am I right? That's right. So it has about 1,10,000 employees globally, but in India, we've got 11,000 employees. We're the top five markets globally for WPP in in, in the global scheme of things, it's, it's, it's a creative transformation company because while erstwhile known for its, you know, it was only known in the space of advertising and communications, it's really sort of progress to make, continues to remain the forefront, but there is also a lot of focus on technology, experience, commerce, which are these new areas of business focus for us. And while, of course, these are the strategic business pillars, there is a lot of work happening in this space for <clears throat> for the talent, you know, for our people, for our clients, for the communities and for the planet, and which is what you really see as the largest sort of vision statement for PP, which is really to help build better future, you know, for our own talent within the organization through the multiple focus areas that we've, you know, sort of brought in as a core focus a lot of focus on the kind of work that we do for our clients so that, you know, we continue to provide for superlative creative tech solutions to our clients. A lot of work that we do for our communities, you know, the the kind of impact that an organization like ours can have on the larger social good is immense. And I think we use that power really in a good way to create that positive impact. And, you know, there are lots of stories around that that, that we can talk about later. And then, of course, the planet, because ultimately we do want to leave a better world for our future generations, given all that's happening with with the climate crisis, you know, the, the kind of pollution in the oceans and the kind of environment damage that it's causing. There's a lot of work happening in that space as well. So I think the, commun- the company, therefore, truly is a creative transformation company because of the kind of focus that it's brought in and the different areas of work that we're doing as an organization. And that's pretty much evident in India as well. So those are the kind of areas of work that we focus as a market, pretty much in line with the global strategy of the organization. Mm-hmm. And in a way, how, how has the role come about? Because you're the, as I mentioned, you're the first one in this role at WPP. And I'm curious about kind of what was the, the motivation, what was the thought process behind creating this within, within the organization? Sure. So a bit of our history, so back in 2018, WP went through a leadership change. We got a new worldwide. And, you know, he came in with a lot of focus, not just on business and numbers and financial, but also a lot of focus on people, talent, community, and so on and so forth. And that started getting translated into markets as well. So in India, when the country structure was being created, and, uh, you know, my current CEO, who was the, who was the country manager for WPP in India, you know, was when he was creating the structure, he, he believed in the, he believed that the people and the culture function needed to coexist as two independent functions, right? And the reason that he's, that, you know, the reason I was felt that culture is an important element for us as an organization is because, you know, if you look at the workforce across the group, it's a very diverse workforce. There is a huge population of workforce, which is under the age of 30. And then there is a, there's the remaining workforce, which is, of course, above the age of 30, which makes it a very diverse uh, sort of an organization. And then there were areas that we wanted to focus on to build this 
workplace as an employer of choice where people would want to come to work, where people would find purpose, where we could give them careers that they could really look at building future here. And I think therefore, in given all of that, you know, there was a reason felt to create space for a chief culture officer. Of course, we did have a global head of culture as well in the organization at that point in time. But as you would appreciate that, you know, a global role is 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 at a as is at a level where it may not be able to focus on markets in a in a way that it requires depth. And therefore, for India, you know, our country manager was very clear that he wanted this role to be created. And I mean, it was beautiful because you know, it was like a blank canvas when I got the role, and literally I could choose to paint it with the colors that made sense for the organization and that made sense, uh, uh, you know, for the for the business of the organization and. That really was the reason that, that I mean, I, I mean, even today when I talk about the role, I, I, I just, I always tell people that I love every day of my job, and that's rare. You know, I mean, you know, it's not easy to love every day of your job. There are days that you like it, there are days that you hate. But honestly, I just love every day of my work. That that's a, that's definitely a great place to be. When you, when you said about the, the the blank canvas, I often find that equally scary and equally exciting, depending on the situation. Because often when I need to create something, it's you know, and you're staring at a piece of paper and you don't have that you know inspiration or whatever, something that you know what to put on, that that blinking cursor on that screen is probably one of the scariest things that you can experience. I'm I'm glad that you were you were excited about that and that you continue to be excited about what we what you what you do within the organization, and. One of the things that you mentioned is obviously when when you started was around 2020. So I'm guessing the first few months of your role were how much were they actually to do with culture and more with helping people through this process, more on the... 21st of March, actually, India declared a national lockdown. We declared it for this prior to the national lockdown. This was a global sort of decision taken. And so 17th of March is when everybody was told to work from home. Conventionally, in our company, work from home is not a regular thing. It was not something that people would practice. Given the nature of work that we do, advertising is a very buzzing sort of a space to be in. And you need to be in office, you need to be shooting, you need to be meeting clients, and you need to be servicing, right? So in the initial few months, there were multiple areas of work that suddenly needed focus on. One was the whole infrastructure part of it. You know, working from home meant for a lot of for for a lot of work, it meant that you know studios had to be shifted to people's homes so that shoots don't stop. The the bandwidth and the Wi-Fi support had to be impeccable because a lot of people in my company, you know, did not have the right kind of facility to work from home because of the backgrounds that they came from, and we needed to make sure that they were able to work uh, smoothly. Right? There was also this whole thing around the policy infrastructure because suddenly from not being in office, how do you hold people accountable for what they were supposed to do? How do you keep a track? How do you keep in touch? How do you keep the employee motivation, morale, all of that going, right? So that was one part of the whole work that had had to happen. The second part was the pandemic itself. I mean, we had so many people who were getting affected and infected by COVID. You know, in the in the first one year, we had lost about 26 employees to the pandemic in India, which was massive because again, not expected, not prepared for. So and the and the pressure that the medical facilities was going through in the country. We needed to make sure that we were able to provide for for our people when they what they needed and when they needed it most. So, you know, a lot of my work around that time was focused on on buildings, communities, creating a support group across different agency brands within the network to come together to you know to help people when it came to 
hospital beds, when it came to oxygen concentrators, when it came to getting medicines, when it came to just just giving, you know, building knowledge around the pandemic because there was so much of myths and confusion and, and you know, all of that was happening. So getting doctors, getting support in form of conversations with people, you know, to, to, so that access was made available. So my entire, I think, first eight, nine months, like was just spent on getting this whole support system in place. Now one would... One could say that this is not this is not what what part of a culture role should be, but in my view it was because my job was to keep the organization going, to keep people motivated in spite of all the difficult times that we were going through, to provide support and help as and when they needed, and you know have and and a sense of responsibility for our people as as leaders of the organization. I think, it, and it was also personally it was a huge learning for me because emotionally it was very hard to go through the phase that we were going through because we all had personal stories situations at home but we also had you know people in the organization to look after and to help them and at the same time uh, you know organization also went through the challenge of optimizing their costs right and optimizing their staff and relooking at structures which was also happening really so I think it was a huge learning curve it also helped build a great sense of camaraderie and community amongst people. And I always say that while pandemic by itself was horrible, but I think what we learned through the pandemic to become such better people, and I genuinely think that I'm a better person than I was three years back, purely because of the grief and everything that I saw around me. And you just learn not to take things for granted, including Absolutely. the role that I was doing. You know, yeah. So yeah, for me... Sorry, I mean, it's a long answer, but that's really, and that set the foundation for what my role was going to be, I think, because it just helped me build such huge network and connection in spite of working virtually, because my role was all about people, right? And imagine a culture role being, you know, you have to operate from home without really meeting people in person was, was very tough. But I think because of the work that we did through the pandemic, uh, I mean, I was just able to connect with so, so many people across geographies that Everything that we did after was easy to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm with you. I'm actually. As soon as you started answering that question, I I've realized I should have phrased that question differently in the first place. Because yes, obviously the the first few months of your role were on infrastructure and policies, more kind of I don't want to say hard HR, but on that side, this of of course there's a cultural element to that. I don't even know what I was thinking asking that question because <laughs> when when you started talking about you know how how do you create belonging, if, you know if this was if you had a remote setup prior to this, it would be a different thing. You had to develop a new way of working for, for your teams, for everybody that, that is part of WPP. And it, obviously, I don't think there's one strict definition of culture. It means different things to different people. In a way, ways of working, that's one definition of culture. Is how do we do work? And by that, by the how, I don't mean necessarily the tangible stuff, but the intangible stuff, right? How do we communicate? When do we communicate? How do we support one another? How do we have team bonding exercises? How do we resolve all the difficult stuff that comes up, right? I'm, I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated with a colleague, but in reality, I'm actually, it, it's because I'm scared because of what's going on. And obviously 2020 has been a difficult year for many people. And I think all of that, how, how we deal with it, that these situations, how we support one another, that's all linked to culture, that psychological safety that is obviously being being talked about so so often. But I like the, how, you, how you said that, you obviously you've created foundation and i think individuals but also organizations if they didn't just sit around and wait for things to blow over passively but seeked out opportunities to you know reinvent themselves see how things can be better have if not created that foundation 
at the very least gathered a backpack full of experiences and things that they can reuse in the, in the future. And I think that's very, very important. So let's fast forward a few months. Pandemic, obviously, first nine, 12 months, very tough focused on that. What are you focusing on right right now or in the last 12 months after, after the pandemic, after 2022? What's kind of your focus there with your role? So, I mean, a couple of core areas that I focus, you know, on my, in my work area are around, firstly, of course, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, and I'm sure you know, given the Indian context and the overall corporate context, the representation of various groups still remains underrepresented, women being one of them, LGBTQI being the second one, and then there are, of course, other groups that are, that are not, you know, represented enough. So my two sort of focus areas in the last two years have been around gender and LGBTQI, and there's been a lot of uh, work that's happened in these two years in my organization. Women representation was easier to work on because it's, I think it's also because it's become a conversation across the globe and everybody talks about women representation much more than the LGBTQI. LGBTQI, again, from an Indian lens, if I were to see, is still a sort of a, it is gaining momentum, but I think the topic itself, there is a lot of lack of awareness in the, in, in the corporate world, even today. A lot of, and I'm being, Honest, a lot of what happens today is still very tokenistic as opposed to making it as part of the larger strategy. And I think we, I can say this with confidence that our focus has been to make it strategic and not tokenistic. So I do, I do not mm -hmm. believe in celebrating the month of June and then forgetting about it for the rest of the year and not doing anything. I would rather have a always on strategy on it. And I think that's what we've been focusing on yeah. as one of the sort of pillars that I work on. The second pillar that I work on is learning. Again, given the diversity of my group, we've got about 11,000 people spread across geographies, different stages of evolution when it comes to learning, training, development. So we've, you know, we've tried to create like a common denominator sort of a thing, a base level learning for all our people that we run at a network level, which allows for all 11,000 people to access learning in a way that's easy. And we continue to run that virtual because one of the beauties of this whole pandemic has been that what you know when you do things virtual you're actually driving more inclusion by allowing for more people to join in and i think you want to continue doing that in a you know in a way and the third piece of work that we've been working on is sustainability but again i would say there is a intersectionality between sustainability and diversity equity inclusion because a lot of work that we are doing in the larger sustainability the subset is dei because as mm -hmm. we all know that it's in fact one of the sustainable development goals so dei is a subset of uh, that. So a lot of work on that. I also have, I think one thing that I learned in these last years is the power of communities led, and I do a lot of community led work today. We've got about five active communities of people from within the network who actually help drive all these agendas that I spoke to you about. So nothing that I do is in isolation, but it's actually done collectively with support of people. So across the group and across these different communities, I think we would have mobilized close to about 500 to 600 people who work on different areas that I just spoke of. And I think that's what is most gratifying in my role, if I, if I could tell you honestly, because I think the fact that the work we do is not limited to some people, but it's actually broad based and, and scaled to help and benefit people within the group. And a lot of what we've done in India is actually now seen and taken to other markets as well which is again a mm -hmm. great way to sort of define success for a, for programs that we run yeah. in India. So, so yeah, so I think a lot of work on diversity, equity, inclusion, learning, uh, sustainability, purpose, 
and some to work on thought leadership for the mm-hmm. company in India. Those are some mm-hmm. of the four focus areas for me. The, the 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 thing that really jumped out at me, and I think this is probably the, the core of what I would like to talk to you about, because all of the initiatives you you mentioned are are, are great, and they're obviously se- separate podcast episodes in in their own right. But partially alluding to what I said in the introduction, when we've gone through the HR rebranding PR exercises, you know, then moving to people and culture, but still basically just being the same thing inside, and and then having somebody who is solely dedicated to culture. What does that mean? Because a lot of people will think, you know, we'll have one post. Because usually, yes, culture is everybody's responsibility. Let's 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 clarify that. Everybody who is part of a group, a community, an organization, whatever, is facilitating, is creating culture for good or for bad. Doesn't matter. They are part of that culture. So it's not that one person can create a culture. No, but one person can impact, inspire, and kind of show the the way, the direction. But it's not only on one person's shoulders, not just because everybody contributes to it, but to be able to kind of spread out. And as you said, it's that you've got a lot of a few communities. You've realized the power of communities in, in your role. And I think that's why I'd like us to take this conversation for a, li- for a little bit. And then how, how do you go about that? How do you, in your role, make it so that it's not just all on your shoulders, but it's spread throughout the organization? and is, as culture is, a living, breathing organism. Could you share a little bit more about that, please? For me, the, and you know, again, this community framework has evolved over time. And, you know, the three things that I, I, I personally feel really work well in a community setup is ownership, accountability, and celebration. And I'll, I'll tell you how this sort of uh, pans out, right? I'll, and I'll, let me do this with an example. So in 2020, you know, through the work that we were doing and talking to people, often I used to hear some of the leaders coming back and telling us that we are losing a lot of women in the workforce purely because, you know, this whole work from home has put this added pressure on them because they're expected to look after home, children, and also work, uh, which was getting very hard because when you were coming to office, you you shut down your personal life for that many hours and you could focus on what you had to do. But because you were working from home, there was this sort of this work and personal life was getting merged more for women than men. And we were using, losing a lot of young women because of that added pressure. Or a lot of women were coming to say that they were finding it very hard to continue to work, right? And that really got me. I mean, for me personally, it was very heartbreaking to hear that, you know, on one side, you're getting time with your family, which otherwise was a rarity given the nature of work that you were in. But it's also becoming difficult for you to be able to do justice to both your personal and professional life. And, you know, so I got talking to a couple of senior women and we said, let's, let's, you know, Let's create a community and help such women to actually learn from the conventional wisdom of senior women leaders who've gone through that journey and to say, how can we help them so that they continue to focus on their career and, and you know, grow while also helping them overcome challenges, right? So we launched the WPP Stella in India, which was actually a global program. But in India, we, we launched it and we actually, you know, we, we actually relaunched it because in 2018, it was a very small program. But here we thought that we must get into a space where we, you know, where we help solve for a problem that was existing in front of us through the program. And you won't believe when we launched the program, we were hoping for getting some, you know, maybe 20, 30, at best 40 nominations for the program. In its first year, we actually got about 270 plus nominations for mentees and another 180 nominations for mentors, which we of course brought it down to 150 because we couldn't handle so many people and also that there was a process selection. So we brought it down to 150. So we got 50 mentors and we got 100 mentees. 
Now, in my role, I'm an individual contributor. My role, I don't have a team in my role. So for me to run a program at that scale was impossible if I didn't have the support of other women leaders who believed in it. So I tapped into the, the, the women who actually had launched the program in 2018 who were still in the company. And these are all very senior women, I, you know, all in the C-suite sort of roles in the organization. And, you know, we had, we created a council of eight women. And these eight women actually became responsible for some aspect of the program that they would look after, whether it was the trainings and workshops that we provided to the mentees, whether it was the open houses that we did for the mentors to help solve for any problem or challenge that they were facing, or whether it was to bring in some inspirational speakers to talk to us. And you know, each person owned, a, owned, a, owned an activity, which also meant that every time they would come out in the public or we would do anything, it was, it was these women who would be talking about it, showcasing the work that we've done. And, and everybody sort of co-owned the program. So it wasn't just my program anymore. It was a program that was owned by these eight very senior women, you know. And over the years, what we've done is that through this group, we've also we've added more people to the council who've been very good mentors and are now where you take on a leadership role within the community, etc. At every forum that we've gone and spoken about the program, whether internal, external, I've always made sure that We've picked up from this group and they've gone and spoken as opposed to me going and talking every time. So I think there is accountability, there is ownership, and there's also celebration of what, what is happening with the program. And I've realized that every time, and this is just one such program, there are many other communities that we run, like the LGBTQI community, et cetera. We've always opened up the program and let people decide if they feel very passionate about that course, should they be on the program? And we've also been very clear on what's in it from, you know, articulating that what's in it for me when you're on a program like this, because you need to be committed, you need to be disciplined, you need to make time, because this is not something you put on your CV on LinkedIn to say that hey, I'm a member of WPP Unite, but it's really about what you do as, as a result of being the member of WPP Unite. And mm. we've also been fairly, I mean, I can tell you that it may not be the most popular thing that I do, but I've also let go of people who've not demonstrated discipline, you know, if they've missed the more than three meetings, if they've not committed to mentoring the mentee that they were supposed to mentor for whatever reason, or somebody who's not basically lived up to the commitment that was made at the start. So we've also mm -hmm. let go, but we've also celebrated who've done really well on the programs. So I think that, and of course, being in touch with the community is the other thing. We, every community that I run today, I meet them every month. As a group, we all come together once every month. So that there is a sense of connection and sharing and learning from each other. So I think those things, I think work. Yeah. Because in, in a way, you basically, uh, how, to, how to put this, You've, you gave people what they wanted, but didn't know how to get, I think. That's kind of what, what I got from you from that, from, the, from those examples that you shared, that, you know, you were surprised with how many people actually came forward. You, you know, your expectations were low by comparison, yeah. which to me shows that, you know, people have been just waiting for that, that person, that someone, that initiative who so comes up with that initiative and, and runs it. And that's why the, the, the interest was, was there. A different kind of example came to my mind is, you know, if you want to test people's commitment and you want to filter out and just have the really committed people on whatever product, whatever project, say initiative, that your programmer you're running, organize the meetings at a very unconventional and inconvenient time saturday morning for example <laughs> and the fact is you will people who really want to be there and believe in that will make everything they will do everything they can to make 
that meeting. I'm, I'm partly saying that as a, as a joke, but I think the sentiment remains is, you know, if you make it easy, an easy entry point, then yeah. it's easy for people to join, but then the commitment might not be there. If, if it's something that if something's for free, we don't value it, but put a $10 price tag on it to entry straight away. The people who book, they will kind yeah. of think twice. Do I want to go? Do I want to part with that money? Or I don't. I like how you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the parts of, you know, how you've gone about this, but, um, and I think I might've just answered my, my own question, but I'm curious, how do you get buy-in from, from these communities? Because yes, okay, you give them a program, they clearly wanted it, therefore they engage, they're involved, they want to run with that. But have you had situations where you actually had to um, getting buy-in into an initiative from your team. And thank you, by the way, for sharing the fact that you don't have a team under you, that you were an individual <laughs> contributor technically. And uh, not technically, you are. Um, how do you, you know, you want to run a program that you believe in, you know that it's the right thing for the organization, but there's opposition. How do you tackle that? Because I think many people, not just in the role of a chief culture officer, but people who want to make a difference on the cultural front, whatever they are in the organization, might be facing something similar. So I think that would be a useful insight. So two two ways, right? And of course, there's opposition a lot of times. And opposition may not be as blatant as as saying it, but you know, you just create bottlenecks or hurdles or you don't respond to things when you need them to respond to. A lot of times... Having a conversation, clarifying why you're doing what you're doing, because, because this whole sense of ignorance or sense of disinterest stems from the fact that, you know, you've not really got into the depth of trying to understand why am I doing it and, you know, what's the purpose, what's the benefit that potentially that organization could have as a result of what we are doing. So talking and explaining and, you know, using the community people to become the spokesperson to go and talk in their respective agencies has been super helpful, right? Which is a, which is a good way of approaching a problem. But a lot of times also what happens is that, you know, you know that it's a must, it's a must do and you have to, because largely you've got to buy in from people, you know, there is a gap in the organization, which needs to be plugged in. Therefore, this kind of intervention will help plug the gap and you're not getting the support that you need sometimes from a certain set of people. You still just go ahead and, you know, you wait for the program to go live and, and then once you've had a proof point or a, or a, you know, you've, you've had some achievements, when you go back, uh, to that person or to that organization to say that, you know, now would you like to now sort of reconsider or, you know, think about what was holding you back and if this helps you clarify, if this helps, you know, if the conversation helps, etc. We've done that also. And then of course there's sometimes that you just don't you know, some people just don't want to be on a on a on something because they feel strongly. And that's fine. And it's okay for such I don't think there's there's any point in forcing or trying to hard sell something to people if they're not interested, because eventually you'll find newer people within that whole space who will believe in it and they'll come, they'll sort of become part of it. So, I mean, I honestly don't waste too much time now trying to convince people on, on or, or, you know, if there's a conflict, I try and resolve it up to a point, but I don't think I have, I want to waste too much of my energy doing that because I'd rather focus still on the, on what's important to me. It's kind of like the 80-20 rule, isn't it? The, you, you kind of focus on, on the 20% 20, 20 of people that you get 80% of results from, or am I getting it backwards? But I think I just, I, I'm with you on that. That's a, that's a very important piece of insight and wisdom there. If, some, if somebody doesn't want to be convinced, you will, you will not convince them. So you might as well focus on people who want to be convinced or are already convinced and kind of invest your efforts there. Yes, be inclusive and invite everybody who wants to participate, yes, but they, they need to have that initiative within themselves as well. If they might not believe, but at least if they're open to having a conversation, that's, that's great. And we, you can then take it beyond that. Um, yeah, I just want to tell you, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting, but 
there is one, and since you asked this question, there's this person that was going on in my there's one person in, in the organization who's constantly ridiculed the title of my role, for example, or what I do, etc. Or you know, sometimes and I, that person is close to me or whatever, but from a work perspective, that person has always sort of had a very strong negative view on on my job and my role. And I've never fought that back, honestly, because I just feel it's not worth my time or energy to to do that because it is probably that person's insecurity or ignorance that that's making her talk the way that that she is and i've actually very and i'm actually saying this in a very spiritual way but i've actually i'm able to shut it down very easily to not let that bother me it used to bother me a lot initially when 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 somebody would talk to me like that but now it just doesn't bother me because i realize that one person can't really determine the worth of my role and what i do because there are many others who are out there who feel that there is value in what we do as a as a company when it comes to culture, you know? So yeah. I think that's important. The ability uh, to shut could, down. Absolutely. We could get the psychological <laughs> route here of, you know, what's going on if we do have 20 people believing in us and one person not believing in us and we focus on trying to convince that one person, you know, confidence, self, self-image issues and things like that. Psychology, I'll leave that to the side. Oh. Uh, an analogy that came to my mind is when you when you said that that you've got the one person that's opposing you is from the the, the movie or the story you get. Every hero needs an antihero, somebody who will motivate them, push them forward, push their buttons so that we grow. And I think that might be that person for you. I hope that that's that person for you. As as yeah. you know, but it's 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 important to remain with a healthy approach to that and not kind of stressing over that, putting too much emphasis on that and focus on that. But actually saying, okay, this is this is what this person is showing me, right? They're a mirror for something in me that I can use to grow and develop further. But my focus will be on the people that are inspired by what I do and where I want to take things. Yeah, You've been in the role good, for yeah. a few years now. I'm curious on about, you know, the vision, the idea, the hope that you had for this role when you started on day one and where you are today. How does that compare? How do you, does it connect? Is it where you hoped it would be? Is it in a different place, but it's in a great place? Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, when I, when I started off, there were a lot of, like I said, while it was a blank canvas, but there was also some strategic areas that we knew we wanted to focus on as, a, as an organization when it came to, you know, people and, and, and culture alike. I have done things that I'd never done in my previous professional of that, to be honest with you, and I got to do it in this role, which was which was interesting. A lot of it was actually baptism by fire. So I didn't go to a training school to be able to do this role, to do this role better. And the fact that, you know, so from, sorry, I'm just, I'm trying, not rambling, but basically, if I were to look at the body of work that's got created in these last three years, I can tell you that I'm super proud of it. And again, this is not, the pride is not just mine alone, but a lot of work that's happened because of the collaboration of people, teams, who all come together to support and, and make things happen. I think there's a lot that we've done in the last three years. Today, the work that we do has been recognized by our people within the organization, by our people across the organization globally, you know, in the Asia-Pacific region. And so much of what we've done is now getting replicated in other markets, like I told you earlier as well. So I think that part really makes me happy and proud of where we are today. I think the role gave me an exposure, which I did not anticipate outside of my own company, which has been phenomenal. I work with, for example, there is work that we are doing with UN Women on, on gender, progressive gender portrayal and advertising. We are working, today I'm working with a very global organization on sustainability on areas that I did not know of at all. But today 
I've learned a lot in these last three years because of the work that we've done. And I think the sheer love and respect one gets in the organization today, I think to me that's, and for me, I mean, I'm a very, I'm a person with, with a lot of heart. You know, for me, heart is very important than mind. And I think to me, that's my biggest sort of wealth that I've created in these three years, you know, where, where people really, people want to work together. People want to come and join our communities. People want to create a difference. You know, people are making time in spite of their day's job to be committed to the communities that they've signed up for. We're seeing the change. We are hearing leaders talk, you know, of the work that we are doing. We are hearing employees talk of the work that we are doing. You know, I, I mean, again, I'm not being boastful. I won two global awards and I've never won in the last 18 years of my job a global award, but I won that during the, you know, in 2022 for the work done in the space of diversity, equity, inclusion, both global awards, one from Adage, the other from Yahoo involved. So I think there is a lot of, so I didn't plan in terms of where I want to be three years down the line when I took the role in 2020. And I'm also not the kind of person like who's very good at answering these questions of, you know, where do you see yourself next and what, from you know, what five years from now? I'm not good at all of that, but I think I just wanted to be in a place where I knew that if I look back, did I feel happy about what, what was, what I did? Did I feel happy about the body of work that got created? And did I feel happy about the kind of, you know, the, the, the wealth of experience, the wealth of relationships, or, you know, wealth of, you know, the kind of work that got created. I think I'm, if I were to look back, I'm, I'm super, super happy and super satisfied with that. But again, I'm not the one to rest on my laurels. I'm sure there is a lot more to do. You know, you, you've got to feel uncomfortable. You've got to feel like you want to challenge yourself. And, and you know, so that, and I think the other thing that I just want to say, which is very important, especially when you're in a role which, which has no, where there is no history to the role, right? I mean, this is not like I was taking on the role from someone else. The role of the manager becomes very, very important. You know, if I didn't have a manager, one, of course, who believed in the role, but also who gave me so much of freedom, trust, and respect, all three in equal measures, you know, I don't think I would be, I would continue to be in the role that I am in because if it wasn't for my country manager, you know, and for all the support that he's been through these three years, uh, you know, none of, none of what I have done would have happened because you do need your leader's support to be able to turn things into reality. Mm -hmm. And he's yeah. just been phenomenal in that sense. So I yeah. owe a lot of that to him, honestly. Yeah. It's, as, as we said before, it's not an individual role. A lot of people have to focus on this, have to believe in this. I, I often, when I, when I start work, I might get approached by the head of HR, for example. They, they are, you know, all hands on hands and feet into into this they want to start yesterday but then very quickly we when we start talking to other senior leaders the c-suite the ceo they're not on the same page and as much as i i, I love a challenge unfortunately most in most cases when when especially the ceo is not on board it's not going to go far because yes we can try and convince them and and kind of build that conversation and and, and have that process for sure but if they directly oppose that it's not going to go very far because we can do all the work that we want to do. But if it continues to be contradicted directly or even worse, indirectly passive way by not sharing the same values and not beating the same drum, 
then it's as, as I said, it's going to it's going to be very difficult, and most often it ends in 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 failure in one way or another. There's there's always learnings, of course, and changes that happens, but it doesn't have the impact that we 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 set out to. Curious, I'm not going to ask you the the other question that I was going to ask you about where do you see yourself, where where you see that role going, and if you, I'll spare you that after you, where, you, where, you, where you mentioned that's not the favorite question. Fair enough, I don't like these questions either. I started working with the intentions recently a lot more, and I'm getting better, but I'll, I'll spare you that question. The question, uh, a variation of that question I'd like to ask you is, uh, in the next few months, is there anything in particular that you're really excited about? Anything that, any projects that will come to fruition or will see the light of day that you basically can't wait uh, to see? Yeah, a few of them actually looking very different from each other. So my first big project is going to be WPP Stream, which is happening in March. This is, you know, this is in its 17th year globally that we're doing this in India. It's the 8th edition. It's, it's an unconference that we do for two days in Jaipur, which is, which is a city near Delhi. And, and here we, you know, and basically, if I were to give you a parallel, it's almost like a corporate vipassana, you know, where you come, you're in a meditative state for two and a half days, opening up your mind to a world of possibilities and going back, hopefully with one or two at least big ideas that you really want to take and, you know, bring them to life. And the reason, and the reason I say this is because of the kind of people we invite to the event. It's a, it's a buy invite. We literally curate every aspect of this, and it's unconference because we let people curate the agenda for us, and therefore the kind of people who come become very important. And you know, there's a good mix of left and right brain in this conference. I, I don't know of any other event that happens the way this does, and 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 it's 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 a very very interesting two and a half days that people get to spend. <laughs> Uh, captive in a place so so you know a lot of conversations that that happen here stay here but in a way that like I said it's it's a spectrum so you know you get to hear about lots of different areas of work from technology to culture to creativity to innovation to music to theater to food to culinary to I mean anything that you can imagine and think about so that's the one big and it's open to our clients and our and our teams but of course it's a limited buy invite nomination event so that's happening from the 2nd to the 4th of March in Jaipur in in India so that's one big thing the second piece that I'm looking forward to is like I mentioned to you that one of the focus areas for us has been the whole LGBTQI sensitization and also inclusion at a workplace we started last year with sensitizing our CEOs and our HR heads on the topic. This year, we are going to scale this up. And the two big things that are planned for, so one is, of course, we're going to run, we, we're going to train our own people across the board to become trainers on this topic and start delivering sensitization workshops to all our employees across the board, which is 11,000 people by the year end should have become, should have become a certified uh, sort of a participant to an LGBTQI sensitization workshop. We're also encouraging the agencies to start looking at hiring people from this community as more as a strategic thing rather than a tokenistic thing, which I told you earlier as well. And there is a lot of work happening at the policy front, at the infrastructure front for this community. So a lot of what started in 2022 will start seeing the light of the day in 2023. And again, mind you, all this has been done through the community and through a group of people who've come together to own the agenda. So that's that's the other piece of of work, I think we'll 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 see a lot of excitement on, and yeah, I mean then everything else that's happening in the space of gender and sustainability and all of that, which continues to happen, and I think that that keeps me and our teams excited for twenty twenty three as well. 
I can I can I can imagine. It's it sounds very busy with some big initiatives there, and that's definitely <laughs> something that's that's going to go further than just the next three months and probably even beyond this this year, even though we're only in January. Thank you very much for for taking the time. It's been a real joy talking to you, and thank you for sharing some of the insights of what it is like to be a chief culture officer and what that involves. And I think I've learned a couple of things about it and I hope that the listeners have as well. So thank you very much again for taking the time. Like, thank you for having me. It was lovely speaking with you today. So thank you once again. Thank you very much. Before I let everybody else go after this episode, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention. First of all, we have the registration for the next Not Another Webinar series workshop open now. And this time it will focus entirely on mastering people analytics and will be facilitated by a previous podcast guest, Nick Jested, who is now the senior director for BI and analytics at Cloud Software Group, which was formerly Tipco Software. What makes this workshop different is that it will be hands-on. You will be really getting your dirty with this, which basically means that you will get a data set and scenarios that will show you how to make the data work uh, for you and you and you will be playing that. So basically you will, you will be able to discover endless possibilities when it comes to that. What what can you do with data? What's available? What's practical insight that you can gain? It's ideal for CHROs, CPOs, HRBVs, or simply anyone who's interested in the use of people analytics to improve employee engagement, retention, uh, performance, and overall creating a culture of, of data-driven decision-making. So it's on February 16th, and the link for registration you'll be able to find in the description. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, give those like and share buttons a little tickle so that this episode, what we do here, and reach other people within your network. And you can always subscribe at whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast. I was your host, Lech Kuzowski. Until next time.